This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast, taking your leadership to the next level. My name is Sam, and today we have another great conversation for you. In this episode, Richard talks with Jeff Christofferson. He is co-founder and missiologist of the SEND Institute, an interdenominational church-planting think tank. He's the author of several books, including Kingdom Matrix, Designing a Church for the Kingdom of God, and Kingdom First, Starting Churches that Shape Movements. He also writes, a weekly column in Christianity Today called Missio Mondays. Jeff serves as co-vocational pastor of the Sanctuary in Oakville, Ontario. He is married to Laura and has two married children. You can connect with Jeff on Twitter at Christofferson3. This is a great conversation about the future of the church and Jeff's newest book, Venal Dogmata. And with that, I'll turn it over to Richard and Jeff. Well, it's good to be with you once again on this podcast, and I'm particularly excited about uh, a guest that I have with me this morning. I always enjoy the guests that we bring on, but uh, Jeff Christofferson is uh, not just a guest, but a friend of mine that goes back a long ways. Uh, a Jeff, long way. <laughs> uh, in fact, my kids think that, remember, we used to go pterodactyl hunting on Saturdays together. <laughs> Uh, but Jeff and I actually were in youth camp together. Uh, Jeff grew up in uh, one of the, the early churches that my dad was uh, involved in helping to get started in Saskatchewan. And, uh, and uh, we've have, we go back a long way. And, uh, and also, uh, you've heard me talk about just uh, the, the value of meeting with folks uh, and being accountable with them. Uh, for a number of years, Jeff and I and two other guys uh, met and grew together. And it uh, was a very rich time in our lives. And so, Jeff, welcome uh, to the podcast today. Well, this is, this is fun. Thanks for inviting me, Richard. Yeah. And I know we both have to be on our best behavior here because we, <laughs> we could easily chase rabbits that could both be scandalous uh, for both of us. <laughs> we have lots of dirt on each other. <laughs> uh, Jeff, one or two things just about yourself I want uh, our listeners to hear. One is you... Uh, you come from a, a family with, you have a sister, and you and your sister both are in full-time ministry. Uh, how does that happen? How does 100% of you and your siblings end up serving the Lord full-time? Yeah, my parents came to Christ at a Billy Graham movie, and, um, and then you, they... I, uh, I was going to ask you to tell that story. Maybe, can you just start there? Because that's one of my favorite Jeff stories. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, this, I'll, be, I'll give you the quick version of it, but they, they basically, um, um, my dad worked for Molsonsbury, and uh, he had a, uh, his, his grade eight education gave him a job to clean beer vats, so it was a union job, he got a free case of beer every day, and, um, the, uh, and the trajectory of our family was pretty dismal when you, when you think about alcoholism, and, and uh they went to go to a movie, and in Prince Albert in 1967, there was two theaters that played one movie, and they just went to the closer one, and uh, they didn't know it was a Billy Gray movie. They went to go pay for it, and it was free, and, um, and they walked into it. It was his first one called The Restless One, Billy Graham's first movie, and, um, and there was a scene in the movie theater where... Um, there was a man and a woman sitting in a convertible car with the top down and the radio on and Billy Graham issuing an invitation, a response to Christ. And the actor and the actress are bowing their head in their convertible, 
praying to receive Christ. And in that moment, my dad reaches over and squeezes my mom's hand and something happened. And, um, um, they were sensing God's spirit. The movie comes to an end and the lights come bright, which is odd in a movie theater. And a man walks to the front and he issues an invitation to respond to Jesus Christ. And my parents kind of were a bit uncomfortable, thought, looked around, thought that was strange. And, and he stood there for a while and said some things and then and, and thanked everyone. They went. And so my parents went to, they had a little Volkswagen Beetle in the parking lot. And in that Volkswagen Beetle in the parking lot, they started discussing what they had just seen and heard. And they, in that parking lot, prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then they got to be a part of the church that you just discussed. So um, Scarborough Baptist and Prince Albert, a church plant from Faith Baptist in Saskatoon. And that church also saw its job was to bring the gospel to every community around it. And so my discipleship process as a kid growing up in that church was doing all kinds of things involved in church starting. And if you fast forward that story, 30 some years, my parents, my dad was asked to be involved in a Billy Graham, um, actually Franklin Graham crusade in Saskatoon. And, um, and so he's in the, the Besborough Hotel. You remember that one in Saskatoon, yeah. Saskatchewan, a big stately place and banquet hall. And, um, um, there was a man who gets up and issues some kind of a preliminary discussion, says, why don't we just have a time of sharing how the ministry of Dr. Graham has impacted your life? And my dad's a tradesman. He's been a welder his whole adult life after that. And, uh, and his heart was just beating. And uh, he was the first in the microphone. He gets up, tells the story of going to the movie and um, praying in the Beatle, becoming part of that church in, in Prince Albert. And those two little kids we had that were babysat when we went to the movie, the little girl, Kathy, is now her and her husband are missionaries and uh, in Chile at the time and, and planting churches there. And my son has been a church planter and he's planted churches. His last church that he's planted has multiplied and uh, many, many times he was, I don't know how many people are in the kingdom right now because Helen and I went to the movie and then they went and he went and sat down and everyone cheered and clapped and, and, um, and the next guy gets up and he, uh, he's an old man and he doesn't shuffle to the, uh, the, uh, pulpit area the he he comes over to my dad and he's just weeping and he just hugs him and says alan my name is tom dice uh, i'm a businessman and i put that movie on and i got up every week and issued that invitation every day and issued that invitation for two weeks and no one ever came forward no one ever responded and i thought it was a failure and he's just weeping and he goes you know praise the lord i i see that god used that and he was hugging and crying with my dad and everybody it was this emotional moment that happened and um and then he passed away shortly after that and my dad has passed away and and um they're probably high-fiving each other in heaven right now i don't know how it all works but but um we just well, you I, know i just like, appreciate your dad I, I he he was a layman all of his life but uh i remember when i was in college going up and preaching at times at that church when the pastor was away and and your and your dad he always went to a, like a rest home uh retirement home every afternoon conducted services and and so I remember when I would go there to preach at the church, then your dad would haul me out to the rest home to preach it to the seniors and just faithfully served all his life. Uh, mm -hmm. Just such a special man. And, uh, 
so I, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm blessed, my heritage, but uh, it's always great to see, you know, my dad was a pastor and I became a pastor, but your dad was a godly layman that just loved God and served him faithfully. And both of his kids are doing that to this day. And so uh, I love that story uh, of how God uh, not only used your dad and, and used that businessman, but uh, you never do know sometimes in this life, all that a simple act of faithfulness does. Well, well, tell us just a little bit about yourself, and you're, you're, you know, I've known you as a pastor, a church planter, uh, mm-hmm. and tell us a bit about Send and just all that you're involved with there, because you're a part of a, you're, you're pastoring a local church, but you're part of a pretty big movement as well. Yeah, well, I, in, in 2010, I was invited to come to the North American Mission Board, and I founded the church planting idea that became the Send Network. So that, I was the vice president of that and got that going. And three years ago, Ed Stepser asked if I would start something with him called the Send Institute, which is a church planting think tank that is transdenominational. And uh, and so we've been been working on that now for um, three years. We have 72 different denominations involved in that, and uh, which is really an exciting time. It's like we're really learning things about preparing how how to plant churches, not for you know, the past in our memory, but for the future and what's coming. And um, so that, that's been a, a neat thing. More recently, I resigned from the North American Mission Board and uh, moved to, back to Canada. My mom's health was bad, and I'm the only kid in North America. So I, there's a great commandment, a great, uh, one of the Ten Commandments speaks about this. And so we, uh, we, we moved back here. Uh, I've taken on leadership with um, Church Planting Canada, which again is all the denominations in Canada working on church planting. So I'm executive director of that, as well as continuing to work with Ascend Institute. So my work primarily now is uh, interdenominational involving uh, helping resource and train uh, networks and denominations in church planting. Uh, and I know that you, you uh, are back also now pastoring in, with your, in your spare time <laughs> with the church you started uh, a number of years ago in the Toronto area. And uh, you had a really an amazing vision. I remember praying with you through that when you were considering going mm-hmm. out there. And uh, just tell us your vision. You weren't just going to go start a church in Toronto, but what was your vision for the church you're Yeah, you're well, Richard, you know, um, when, we, when we were kids growing up in Saskatchewan, we saw these churches, the one your dad started, the one um, Jack Connor started, we saw these churches see people come to Christ, be discipled, and and the leadership didn't say, oh, great, we got more leaders for our church. They said, oh, great, we got more leaders to send into the world. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so we we watched we watched this machine of people um, go and uh, leave the churches and start churches, become missionaries, do all kinds of uh, kingdom things. But the thing that uh, I don't think I appreciated as a young man there was watching because they were kind of frumpy churches. You know, they weren't. they weren't cool or slick or, you know, they weren't like have all the light shows and the fog machines and the, because they were always giving themselves away. And uh, so when I went and left, grew grew up, I went to university in Missouri, saw big churches and how they, they did things and kind of got enamored by that. And, um, and I, uh, I really wanted to um, reproduce that. Um, 
I came to my senses at some point in my adulthood <laughs> and realized actually the real power was what was, was in the frumpy things that were happening in Saskatchewan. Um, I don't, I say that, you know, disparagingly, they weren't frumpy at all. They were powerful and amazing, but they weren't polished and, and slick. They were, they were using real people and, and, um, and mo mobilizing real people to do real ministry in real situations and, uh, and life-changing kind of stuff happened. So when we went to, to uh, Toronto, um, I, I just determined, A, that we were going to start a church that would multiply itself. Our vision was that we would start 25 churches by the year 2020. We were launching the church in 2001. We had no money. We had no, no partners. We had no anything. There was three families in a commune <laughs> in a 1,200 square foot uh, townhouse and uh, 14 people and a dog. And uh, that's, how, that's how we started this church. And we saw our neighbors come to Christ. We saw our real estate agents and our lawyers and our insurance brokers start coming to Christ, people that we just networked with. And we started this church. And uh, in a year, it was over 200 people. And, um, and then we just continued to grow and multiply. We ended up starting two churches simultaneously while we started the first one. And, uh, and then we started something called Toronto Church Planting out of that. And I think there's about 60 churches now that have come from that. And um, so it's, it's been an amazing thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's so much uh, that you know and uh, have to say. I, I just see you as, a, as certainly an expert in the church, and, and you have a, a prophetic voice uh, for the church. I know that you, you're concerned about the church, um, and uh, I, I, we can't begin to scratch the surface about your concerns. <laughs> but uh, I know and we're going to talk about a book or two books that uh, you have that have just come out, but uh, in that, you, you identify 10 different things in particular you're concerned about. And I know you can't cover all of them, but give mm -hmm. us a, one or two, maybe at least scratch the surface on, I mean, is the church in trouble? Is the church doing well? You drive around, especially in the southern U.S., you see lots of churches, uh, buildings at least. Mm -hmm. uh, what, 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 why would you be concerned about the church? Well, well I think the church um, is in a, in a, a, a season of... Um, plateau before it heads to a, a decline. And um, um, I, 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 like you, get to go to other places in the world and speak. More recently, I was in uh, speaking at a conference with church leaders from 85 different nations around the world, church planting leaders, and get to see what's happening around the world and go, shoot, I don't see that stuff happening in North America. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if you could just sum it up, there's, you're right. I, I, I'm writing a, a missiology textbook for a B&H academic. That's something that's just going to serve, you know, seminary students. But um, and what's it called? Uh, it, it's still in peer review. It doesn't even have a title yet. So, yeah. So it, um, but uh, in it, what I do is I take 10, the 10 things that you named um, of, that I think are paralyzing the church's mission in North America and um, and then I go back into history on each of those 10 and look at key decisions we've made to cause us to think the way we think about these things. And then I look into the future and say biblical readjustments we're going to have to make if we're ever going to be prepared to be the church of Jesus Christ on mission in on a movement. And, um, and so that, you know, those are, they're 10, they're, they're, they're big ideas, but I think you could sum it up with one thing 
And that is somewhere along the way, the church has become fascinated with itself instead of the mission of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when the church sees itself as the goal, it becomes a powerless and I would dare say an idolatrous thing. Yeah. And, uh, but when the church self-sacrifices herself for the kingdom of God, then she becomes this powerful, um, relentless, um, self-sacrificing um, body that really resembles Jesus Christ's presence on earth. And, um, and, and so that has so many different implications, but I think that's the heart of, of the difference. Well, what would be, give us an example or two, just, you know, <laughs> you have to name names, but uh, <laughs> when it comes to church that's become inward focused, there's lots of ways where that manifests itself, but, but, but help people just get a sense of what you're talking about. What, what is a self-centered kind of church? Cause it, you, you're not saying that they're bad people, yeah. you know, anything like that, that they don't love Jesus, but but what are the signs that a church has become self-focused, self-centered? That the, that the institution becomes the thing that is, that is of paramount. And so when we're, we're looking at our budgets, we are, we're saying, you know, you know, what can we afford to? And then we start thinking about the things that God might lead a church to do. And, um, and if the answer is often, well, no, we can't afford to do that. And uh, I, I had, I was one time <laughs> speaking at a church in, in the deep South that had a beautiful, incredible building, beautiful building. Their pastor asked me to speak. I spoke, um, told lots of God stories. You know, when you're kind of in the missionary idea, you, you see God do incredible things. And I told lots of God stories and things in, as illustrations of the principle I was preaching on. They invited me back again a second time, and I preached. And, um, and I, I was trying to get some partnerships for, between this church that had tons of resources and, and, um, and church planters that I knew of. I was trying to make that connection. And, and so at the end of that second sermon, the pastor invites me up and says, um, Jeff, he, he was in his, in his late 50s, probably. He said, you, um, both times you've shared lots of these God stories. I don't know if I could give you one in mm-hmm. my own ministry. And I said, oh, you know, surely, surely you're kidding. <laughs> you, you just, no, 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 I'm not. And he goes, why is that? And, um, and I kind of had an inkling of why, but I didn't really want to say because I was trying to develop a partnership with that church. And, um, and I, I thought, swallowed hard and said, all right, here goes. Um, I said, you don't need them. You don't need, you don't have God stories. You don't need God. You can do everything that you're doing here um, and get a 5%, you know, return on investment just by using good business principles. I said, but if you, what if you knew that 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 Jesus is asking you to sell this palatial place that you've just built and, um, and go move into the high school across the way and invest the dollars that you have had out of this into 100 different ministries. And those, and you knew that the end result would be, there would be a thousand fold kingdom multiplication impact by that decision but your church that you're leading would be half the number would you would you um give that kind of leadership to your church and i said if you if the answer to that is no um i think you'll continue not to see god stories and um 
and what I was doing was paraphrasing the rich young ruler right in a different context and and the same result happened his face fell he went away sad and someone else drove me to the airport and I never heard from him again and uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I well, think I think that's the heart of it and you think about and it's not necessary that buildings are bad but when all of the, the the vast majority of the resources are going in to maintain the facility instead of reaching the the unreached you have to say is that why we exist just to make sure we can pay our mortgage and keep this place air conditioned in the heat of summer is that why we people give sacrificially uh, and so on for that uh, and pe people uh, you know and i know people are looking for a god kind of thing to invest the one life they have in mm -hmm. and Simply paying down a mortgage for a nice looking building is not really worth a person's life's investment. Hey, it's Sam here, and I don't know about you, but life has changed significantly in the last few weeks. Not going to work like we normally do, not being able to see friends and family like we used to. And I know I'm not alone in this, and many of you uh, have also experienced massive changes in your daily life. And because of that, here at Blackaby Ministries, we started doing a Facebook Live devotional with Richard. And we do this every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And you can ask your questions live. You can interact with our community. Uh, it's just a way to check in with everyone and hopefully be encouraged in the middle of the week. Uh, we'd love to see you there. And we're probably going to do this until life goes back to something that resembles normal. Okay, now back to the show. You know, one of the things, so we're at the Send Institute, we see, we're, we're, we measure and we're about, we're, we plant around um, 4,000 churches across North America every year when you put all denominations in, combined. Hmm. And, um, and we lose around 4,000 old churches across North America when we put every, every denomination in. Uh, so population is increasing. The size of the churches on average are is decreasing. The evangelistic effectiveness of those churches are decreasing. And uh, so in almost in every measurable way, we um, were not really winning with the idea that we have, which really is an idea of preservation. Hmm. And, um, and so somehow, some way, uh, we have to regain the concept that the church wasn't designed to save itself. Um, it was designed to give itself away. And in that, in that uh, spirit, I think the church finds the life of Christ in it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've often thought to myself, you, a lot of us are not seeing miracles because we, we don't need a miracle to do what we're attempting. And uh, one thing we keep challenging our listeners to say is, what is it in your life that would be impossible to accomplish if God does not intervene and help you? And uh uh, I, there's just so many, there's mundane things you have to do. You have to go get groceries. You have to do. Which more. isn't that mundane these days. <laughs> yeah, some things, but, uh, but then there's, but you want to look somewhere in your life and point and say, but that is a God thing. Um, mm -hmm. and that's our prayer for each person. Well, you, you have a book that has come out that, uh, that you've not even yet been able to see because of uh, some, uh, quarantine uh, issues and so on, but uh, it's called a Vino Dogmata, and uh, you have to explain that title because that is you when you go through a bookstore and you look at that title, uh, you stop and think, "What on earth is that talking about?" 
Yeah. So when I was, when I was writing the uh, textbook, I thought somehow I need to give the reader a picture of what I'm talking about. So it's just not cold theoretical facts on a page. Mm. And, and so I started to write an, a fictional narrative of a African American inner city church in Philadelphia that, um, that was on the other side of the, the political maelstrom that we're in right now. The, um, Jesus says, if you, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Uh, Paul thought, I mean, Peter thought he was going to come to Jesus' rescue by, by his own might. And Jesus, you know, said, you know, put this thing away here. You're not going to come to a kingdom. You're not going to have a kingdom impact by using physical means here in, in, this, in this instance. Uh, the, uh, the evangelical church, I think, has duped itself, not church, evangelical church, there is no such thing as evangelical church, the evangelical churches have duped themselves in thinking that somehow we can reclaim Christendom through political, the political process. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what is happening is the mission field that, uh, that we're, we're supposed to go out and have a heart for and love is actually seeing us as their enemy by how we, how we um, parlay, how we talk, how we position. And, uh, and so the, the, whether it's this election cycle or next, um, I think evangelicals are going to be further disenfranchised. Um, we have, we will, we live by the sword of politics, and we're going to die by the sword of politics. And um, and I think the 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 whiplash, the cultural whiplash that is coming against evangelicals in the future, um, we need to be prepared for. And so the setting of this book is is in that setting in the future, where the church no longer can assume all the cultural ideas that. That they've used to like so um, taxes tax-free uh, status for your building um, well you know now you're gonna have to prove that you're charitable to have that and to prove that you're charitable that means you exist as a charity for the good of a society not for the good of your membership and most churches couldn't prove that the majority of their budget does not go for the for the community and um, and so all of a sudden, church after church after church has no charitable status for their, I mean, has no um, um, tax-free status for their property. And so what happens to their building at that point? So we, here's the picture of a church in, in Philly that gets a $96,000 tax bill and couldn't, couldn't pay for it. And now what? And it goes from that reality to a global movement. And, um, and what happened in that church? I mean, how, how it changed everything that it was and did and became that, that new thing. Yeah. It's a very, and the way, so how, how do you see churches functioning in the future? What, what will be different about churches that are thriving because we know, uh, if you even look back at when, for instance, 1917, when communism uh, emerged in Russia, uh, two-thirds of all the Christians were in the West, one-third were in the East, and then this atheistic, hostile government system took over a bunch of uh, Eastern Europe and China and so on, and, and we thought, well, that's the end. They're, they're arresting Christians. They're making it illegal to go to church. Uh, and then when the, the wall falls in like the late 80s, You've got two-thirds of all the world's Christians in the East now and one-third in the West where they've been free to do whatever they want as a church. And you think, well, under all this oppression and legal opposition, the church has actually done better than when they were free to do whatever they wanted. And uh, you sort of, it's kind of like you, 
you, you, that seems to be what you're painting in this book is when all of a sudden a lot of their freebies and and sort of easy kind of uh, societal uh, approval uh, is taken away, uh, the church actually becomes more dynamic, more powerful, more focused. I think I think you're so right. I think in history we certainly see that time and time again. We see both sides of it. We see the 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 Soviet side. We see the China side. What's happened? There's a handful, a few hundred thousand, when Mao Zedong took over, and when when all of a sudden we got a peek into what was going on, there was tens of millions of of Chinese believers. What? How did that happen in the midst of persecution? Cuba. They they were praying when Fidel Castro was going to you know be replaced. I heard I heard people Americans say, "Do you hope that?" Uh, that somehow this is going to, you're going to have religious freedom. And they go, no, no, we don't want religious freedom. We want to continue on because we're in a church planning movement. We're seeing our, our, our country come to Christ. And the meta narrative of scripture from cover to cover isn't strength, it's weakness. And, um, and, and whenever we see the church in strength, we see darkness. We see the church operating in fleshly ways. But when you see the church in weakness, all of a sudden it's dependent upon Christ. And all of a sudden you watch an incredible movement happen. And so um, a lot of times sort of the standard prayer we pray is, Lord, we thank you for our freedom. We thank you. We're in a free country. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Which certainly makes our life easier. But it's certainly not, I don't think, a benefit to the gospel. And uh, yeah. well, and so when you look to the future, for instance, uh, you're not, I don't think you're envisioning number one, that most churches will have buildings uh, that they own and pay for and pay taxes on. But also, I, I don't think you're, you're going to see churches that are all staff driven with paid full time paid staff. What, what, yeah, that's what, a great point in the future. Yeah, so so whenever you, when you can just again we look at history and think if 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 history's prologue we'll just say like all right whenever we see movements it's movements of shopkeepers and farmers and and it's not a professional clergy and I'm not against professional clergy I'm one of them you are one of them but we'll never you know the, the amount of energy and effort it takes to make one of us um, we have a different role in fact when I go to seminaries I, I help them see um, how much has been invested in them. And, uh, and I said, if you graduate from this seminary and, um, and think that you're going to go and do ministry, it is a kingdom misappropriation of kingdom funds for that to happen. Because mm. you're not to graduate and do ministry. The Bible says you're to graduate and multiply ministers. <laughs> you are to equip people to do the work of ministry. And yeah. so when you, when you see Ephesians 4, 11, 12, we you see apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, all of these working in. And, you know, Richard, this is, this is the, the light bulb came on 2006 for me. I'm having a conversation with this Australian guy. And he goes, Jeff, was Jesus apostolic? Yeah. Was he prophetic? Well, pretty much. You've heard it say, but I say unto you, he was pretty prophetic. Was he evangelistic? Yes, he was evangelistic. Was he a shepherd? Yeah. Was he a teacher? Good teacher. So Jesus was perfectly filled out that typology in himself. He goes, should not the body of Christ look like that? And, um, and then if you did a spider graph and you look at all of those functions, apostolic, the sentness of the church, taking the gospel elsewhere, the prophetic, the, the evangelistic, the, sh the shepherding, the teaching, and you'd, you'd look and we're very low on the apostolic. We, we really aren't cons 
you know, thinking about how do we bring the gospel someplace else? We're, we're very low on the prophetic. We really do let our culture um, shape us. We're, we're very um, actually terrible on the evangel. We preach evangelistic sermons to Christians every Sunday, but how often do we see life after death um, um, transformations happening regularly in our churches hmm. on the shepherding we're, we're way better and on the teaching we're very good and so if you did a spider graph it's this little pie segment over in this on this section but what would happen if we could move the, each of those out and uh, what if what if the church of J jesus christ looked like the person of jesus christ what if the body of christ looked like the person of christ and uh and so i was just convinced that somehow we've got to staff our churches on the functions of Christ rather than Sunday morning. Because yeah. most, most churches really staff, you know, small or large with, with most, most of uh, resourcing of their staffing is to pull off Sunday. Well, and I think you, to, to go along with that, uh, a lot of churches expect their pastor to be just like Jesus with the giftedness and all. To those have things. all five of them himself. You're right. Uh, and to say, yep. well, just let, that's why we have a full-time pastor to do that. And, uh, and that's burning out a lot of pastors and getting a lot of them fired because they're trying to do all of those things. Instead you are of, so right. Yeah. Uh, yep. There's probably, there's people in the, in the pews that, could be equipped to do that, but instead, well, we're not paying them to do that. That's, uh... mm -hmm. So Richard, like, like you mentioned, I came back to Canada, went back to the church that I started. They had had two, pa I had not pastored it for 11 years. They've had two pastors since I was there. The second one was, was resigning. And, um, and so I went to the elders and said, how about I um, lead again? And, um, but I'll do this differently this time. I will do what I just talked about to you. I will find, I will serve as that apostolic voice and I will find the P, the E, the S and the T. And everyone is co-vocational. Everyone has another job that they're not trying to get rid of. And, um, and all of us will um, serve as, you know, a living example to everybody in the church. Follow us like we follow Christ. It's an infinitely reproducible model. Mm -hmm. And um, so now this virus came, right? And so we're meeting in a university, but we can't pay rent now, don't need to pay rent. Um, we're not paying any staff. Um, we continue to have money coming in, generously people giving automatically online donations. And so our church, we, what we do is we're asking two questions. We're asking our people, how are you doing? And we're asking our people, how are your neighbors doing? And, um, and everything we do as a church goes to support the answers to those two questions. And, um, and all of a sudden, we really, it seems, it looks really Jesus-y, really New Testament, yeah, of uh, what's happening. Wow. Well, that, I think uh, it's a great way to maybe draw uh, this to a close. Just uh, you, you, in your book, you, you look to the future and say, well, a lot of churches are not ready for what's coming. And, uh, and I think this coronavirus has been a glimpse of that, uh, mm. something uh, that no one expected, uh, no one could have ever dreamed that the government could say churches can't meet on Sunday. Uh, and, and a lot of churches were not ready. If you right. could come in the building and sit in a pew and receive uh, servicing, the church had no other means of getting ministry out into the streets and into the communities. Uh, they only had one delivery system, and that delivery system got shut down. And, so and, and, our, ans and our answer is really just one degree worse than that, is now, now it's going on. Now we're, we're broadcasting um, that message to even more 
isolated congregation who are sitting on their couches now watching this and um but really nothing has changed uh, yeah yeah and that that uh, one-on-one caring for the neighbor and so on like you said is uh we've not taught our people to do that and that's not been the vision and uh and so i think uh we're seeing churches this is perhaps shedding a bit of light to say really are we really the church that ought, we ought to be and does kind of simple or not simple but a global virus is that all it takes to stop mm-hmm. the church in its tracks? And um, uh, and so I, I want to encourage people uh, in the show notes, we'll have uh, some information on Jeff. He's not hard to look up and find lots of stuff about. If you happen to be listening and you're in the Toronto area, I encourage you, if you don't have a church or you want to perhaps uh, learn from what he's doing to check out the church he's leading um, and the, certainly the SEND uh, Institute and a lot of great cutting edge prophetic type thinking that's taking place. Uh, just some of the best minds. Uh, Ed Stetzer, another great uh, uh, church um, expert, uh, and uh, has so many good things to say as well. Uh, just two got uh, great, great people in that area. And uh, Jeff's got uh, this book that's come out now, Vino Dogmata. And, uh, and, and you that, asked me what it meant. And I never answered. Yeah. Vino, it's two Latin words. Uh, Vino, it, it's, it really just means um, up for sale, uh, open for corruption. Mm-hmm. And uh, dogmata is, is plural of dogma or, or a belief. And so a, an open, a system of beliefs that, that is up for sale. And, uh, yeah. and that becomes a really uh, a poignant point in the life of that church as they begin to debate yeah. about what they should do. It's a very, it's not a long read, but very intriguing, very engaging. And you basically, in a pretty short book, cover 10 different issues <laughs> in one degree or another. Uh, and so I really encourage you to get that book and, uh, and follow along with, with Jeff. He's got a lot of, he writes, you write for Christianity Today, don't you? you yeah, every, every Monday I write, I have an, a column called Missio Mondays. And so every Monday on Christianity Today. Yeah. So a lot, you can get lots of stuff from Jeff if, you, or if you're not familiar with him. Uh, I, I'm really glad that you've gotten to meet him today in this podcast and uh, encourage you to follow him and, and pick up his books. And Jeff, we'll have to have you back because uh, we're, we, I don't even know if we scratched the surface. We, we, we could see the surface. We barely got to it, I think. Mm. I know you've got so much to share, but thanks for taking time to drop in today and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, it's great to be with you, my old friend. It's been fun. <laughs> thanks, Jeff. With an emphasis on old, sorry. I <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners, so email us at podcast at blackme.org.